0: hello and welcome to the fourth edition of the wonder women segment of the maker mom podcast my name is katie freeman and i am your host of the podcast um every week i release two episodes on wednesday is the wonder women segment where i interview women makers of all kind bring you their stories and on fridays is the uh episode that started the whole podcast where I interview other maker moms about their journeys to becoming makers in the hectic life of being a mom. This week's guest of the Wonder Women segment is none other than the designer maker Kate Duncan out of Toronto, Canada. Um, I learned about Kate after listening to her interview, which was episode 68 of the Clever podcast. So if you want to have, if you really enjoy this interview, you should go check that out as well, because they are to- two totally different interviews. So you will definitely learn all kinds of things about Kate from between both of those interviews. All right, before we hop in to the interview with Kate, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Laura of the Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaimed Living Store, Brandy Studio, Obey, Kathy One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all very much for your patronage and your continued support on a monthly basis of the podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast and you want to help support it, hang out till the very end of the episode and I'll let you know a few different ways that you can help support the podcast. All right, with no further ado, let's hop on into the interview with Kate Duncan. Hey, I always have my guests uh, give their own introductions. Um, so why don't you go ahead and tell people about yourself?
1: Cool. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Kate Duncan. I'm a furniture maker in Toronto, Canada.
0: Awesome. Um, are you born and raised Canadian? Yeah,
1: I was born and raised on Vancouver Island, which is the other side of Canada over on the west coast.
0: Um, yeah, that's a, that's a place that's like on my bucket list because every picture I see, it looks absolutely gorgeous.
1: It is really beautiful.
0: Yeah. It's uh, really what's the population there like versus like Toronto? Cause I know Toronto's like huge. Huge.
1: Yeah. I think Vancouver, um, is about a third of the size of Toronto. Okay. Memory serves me.
0: All right. Um, so let's chat a bit about, about growing up there. What was it like? What kind of, what was your childhood like there?
1: (laughs) Um, it was, it was a good, I had a good childhood. My parents are pretty great. They're, um, they're both accountants. So we like speak a different language. (laughs) Usually the message gets through. So, um, no, my childhood was great. Um, I started taking wood shop classes when I was 12 and I, I just immediately got hooked. So grade 10, 10, 11, 12, blah, 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 all through junior high and high school, I was taking shop classes. Um, My instructor in high school, when I got to high school, my instructor was um, putting me in competitions, which sounds ridiculous, but if you're a geek, you can do woodworking competitions. You know, most kids like, play basketball (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah compete against other schools well (laughs) exactly that but for woodworking
0: (laughs) is that I mean you know is that typical because like I mean having shop class available from junior high like all the way through high school in Canada because here it's not like it depends on it depends on what where you grow up um
1: oh yeah I think it's pretty normal in Canada to have okay. shop classes in high school. I actually when I graduated from high school, I went to university to become a shop teacher, and then I taught high school wood shop for about ten years. okay so I found that most schools had shop class the schools that didn't have shop classes were usually private schools. Gotcha, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I mean it you it definitely used to be where like every high school right, in, you know, had it here, but it's been one of those things in the US as like budget cuts to our public school system happens, yeah. like all the extracurricular stuff, you know, gets cut. So that's like yeah. shop class and stuff like that. Yeah. Um,
1: and I find the same thing was kind of happening here. In that when I first started teaching, this was eons ago, I would have, you know, maybe 16 to 20 kids in my class and I had like a decent budget to go buy wood and, and it was, it it felt manageable and then by the time my career was sort of rounding the bend and i I'd been doing it for, you know, five or eight years, the budget every year just got cut and cut and cut and cut. And my class sizes just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So by the time I quit, I had like 30 kids in every block. I was buying lumber off Kijiji, <laughs> trying to get, you know, trying to just make the budget go as far as I could. Um, it was a struggle. It, it mm-hmm. was, I felt like it was being sus- systematically being shut down like mm-hmm. just making the program so unattractive the kids didn't sign you know didn't want to sign up and so yeah. then you know the enrollment so down oh I wonder why that happened let's just cut the program
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it was a while ago that I was teaching so maybe there's less
0: classes like mm-hmm. I'm not sure right <laughs> <laughs> Did you, I mean, did you go to university for that, like straight out of high school?
1: I did, yeah. I did a four-year uh, undergrad in
0: education. So fun fact, that's what I started out going to college for was, oh, to, <laughs> yeah, was to be like an industrial tech teacher in high school. and. Uh, My first, like, I was that for the first full year, I think, and then the first semester of sophomore year, I had my first education class, and I just realized, like, definitely at that point, I don't like kids enough to do this job. I just don't like them well enough, especially since that's, like, I'm going to be, like, 22 when I get out of college. That's really close to, like, age-wise, you know, to high schoolers. Really?
1: Yeah. Um, I used to get mistaken as a student. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I started I was teaching, I was 22, 23, and it was, it was awkward.
0: <laughs> was it, did you find it hard at all? I mean, did you ever have an issue with, like, your students respecting you because of that? Not so
1: much. <laughs> I had a kid once after school, I had gone home and somehow he had broken into the shop took a shit on my floor and videoed it and then put it up on YouTube. <laughs> the janitors were so good to me. They cleaned it up before right. I even saw it, but um, I saw the video.
0: <laughs> that is just crazy. Okay. Maybe. Now I'm, g- I'm going to ask a more pointed question about that. Do you think that was more relevant because of your age or because of your gender? I think a- I think a bit of both for okay. sure. I think
1: probably more to do with my gender, but I think also because I was so young, I was just mm-hmm. a giant target. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't you hadn't quite been around the block yet to um, like no,
1: yeah, I, I had it were. coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you were in junior high and high school, were you like what was the mix of kids? I mean, were you, like, the only female or just part of a small handful?
1: No, I was the only one. (laughs) I was the only one. i looking
0: back on it now. I'm like, why did I
1: do that? Like, why did I even think that that was okay? Or why wasn't I scared? Or like, but it didn't, it didn't bother me. Like, I just... Mm -hmm. I just I really really wanted the stuff right I really really wanted to make the stuff and then like bring it home
0: (laughs) right right yeah do you think your parents worried about that at all I don't think so
1: I don't think they did I think they thought it was like kind of weird but (laughs) they weren't gonna stop me
0: do you do you have siblings
1: I have a younger brother.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, was he into any of the stuff you were into? No.
1: <laughs> no, he's actually he's actually an accountant now too.
0: I was gonna just ask, like, did he become an accountant? Too? Yeah. <laughs> so are you like a complete stranger or like the weird alien in the corner at your family a gatherings?
1: Bit. Yeah. I'm a little bit. I'm um I like to think of myself as the life of the party. I mean, there are three accountants. Right. You <laughs> <them to> <laughs> so, yeah. What was
0: it? What do you think it was about, like, woodworking that, uh, you know, attracted your attention so much? as a kid versus like, you know, I don't know, versus like an art class, you know, yeah. or music, or or maybe you were into those as well. I don't know, but.
1: I was I was in, in band class, um, but I think it was really, like it was the stuff. Like I really <laughs> wanted the like bookshelves and the desks and like I wanted the little objects and I wanted the ability to like make more as I needed them, like little boxes mm-hmm. for this thing over here, or that thing over there, or what, whatever it was. I, I wanted to have the ability to make things. And and I wanted those things in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was really th- self, it's really self-serving. <laughs>
0: no, I think it's, it's very valid. I find all of <laughs> that very valid. Um, I, th- I mean, I was the same way. I I took shop first time in junior high, and I was, like, so stoked. Like, what was fun, uh, funny about that is shop class, the only thing we actually made was, like, uh, a CO2 car. Um, We had to, like, design our own CO2 car, you know?
1: I remember those.
0: And I was, like, so into it. I made, like, several different versions of (laughs) of that CO2 car. Um, But then in high school, I didn't take shop. Unlike you, I was actually like I was I was timid about being in a wood shop with all those guys. And I know one reason was a huge reason was like their end of the year project every year was to make a paddle. Okay. Which the high school males you can probably visualize would go running down the hallway like smacking um, everybody's, you know, rear ends with that paddle. And I just didn't see that going well, like being in class, and it also didn't like pique my interest at all of something to make. I'm like, no, not
1: yeah,
0: (laughs) nothing to that.
1: Important, right? Like, if it's not something I I want, then I'm like very not motivated to make
0: it. Right, exactly, exactly. So I took electronics instead, which I was still (laughs) like, yeah, I was still like the only girl. Yeah, but um, it was. I was in high school before everything on a uh, circuit board became like so teeny tiny that you couldn't like yeah. manually solder them in place. So I went to the same geeky contest as you, except for mine were for electronics because my my yeah. electronics teacher pushed me for that. <laughs> I'm so glad I've never met. i geeky <laughs> to meet me there there you
1: go (laughs) (laughs) awesome yeah so
0: cool. So okay so you did shop you taught shop for you said eight to ten years or okay years so how why did you transition out (laughs) of that
1: (laughs) well i I gotta say i really teaching was not for me you dodged a bullet when you got out (laughs) really like it's it's like eat or be eaten. It was yep. bad. It was not good. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter how fun or cool or how much effort I put in or didn't put in. The kids were just there to like eat you alive. Yep. So I really didn't, I really didn't like teaching. Um, and then what really got me out of it was, um, that I was in a motorcycle accident. Um, so I was sideswiped by a car in a hit and run. And then I was run over by a bus, which was like a bad day.
0: Yeah, um, very bad day.
1: <laughs> so I had a hip reconstruction and I had seven screws and a metal plate put in my arm. And I was rolling around in a wheelchair for a while. Um, it, was, it was about a year. <laughs> I'm just really like, I was a hot mess. <laughs> it was bad. Um, so I was off work. Um, and I, I just didn't want to go back. I was like, how can I make something? How can I use this time to do something so that I don't have to go back? And so, yeah, I manufactured a collection of furniture very, very, very slowly. (laughs) Um, you know, some days I would get to the shop, I would last 10 or 20 minutes and other days I would get to the shop and I'd last a few hours. But um, it was kind of like a bit of therapy for Mm -hmm. me. Like, I really am not, you know, I don't go to exercise classes or yoga. I'm like, not that girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But hanging out in the shop was like a way for me to sort of walk around and and use my body in a way that was therapeutic. And Mm so, yeah, it took me uh, like the whole year to actually get anything completed because it was like a snail space but um yeah then I took some photos and started an Instagram feed and then got a couple orders and it's sort of I went back to teaching just part-time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I did that for a while but then the business kind of got up and running and I was able to quit yay <laughs>
0: <laughs> so As somebody who like basically has the dream of like what you are living what you get to live is like my dream um, how like I mean was it really a matter of like okay here's my collection and boom like overnight fame I'm guessing not That's the easy answer. That's right. Guess. No, uh, we're going to dive in a little bit.
1: You got, you got me. You got yes. me.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're really like palatable, um you know. <laughs> made for podcasts and YouTube. And that story is right. that it just was that simple. Um, but actually it was like incredibly, incredibly challenging. It was mm-hmm. like five years of like blood, sweat, tears, no money. There's no, no nope. money. <laughs> no money. There was, it was just sort of me scraping together, you know, part-time teacher paychecks right. to, try to make it all sort of balance out at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, it was really tough. It was really, really tough. Um, there were some years where I did like, not like nothing in sales, mm-hmm. like I would sell three pieces and then the rest would just be me prototyping and making things mm-hmm. just to take pictures of things. And, um, Trade shows, oh my gosh, trade shows, don't get me started on trade shows, (laughs) terrible. They're like, I don't know what means to an end that. I don't even know. Right. But I got, did a couple trade shows and they were not, they were not helpful really. Mm -hmm. I did do one show in New York um, about a year ago and that seemed to make a big difference for me. Is
0: that the IFCC?
1: Uh, ICFF? No, I didn't do that one. I did um, a little show. It was quite obscure, actually. It was called Next Level. Hmm. And it was only the second year it had been running. And it was put on by a bunch of other designer makers that lived in New York. I think there was four or five of them. And so they all got together and put together this show. And there was, I think, about 40 other designer Mm -hmm. makers represented at the show. And I don't know why they invited me to do it. I don't, you know, they just did. And I was like, yes, (laughs) and I did it. And it was, it was great. I got picked up by two showrooms, one in Manhattan and one in Boston. I got some really great press coverage. I made a really great sale. Mm -hmm. Um, And I seem to be continuing to get traction from kind of all of that. From that. Yeah.
0: So, okay, so it feels like, you know, I have found, especially with doing the podcast and getting to talk to a bunch of people who do this yeah. type of thing, that there's different two different routes, right, that people either take. Either they do solely, like, commission work, and it's like somebody's like, I found this on Pinterest, make this for me right. type thing, or it's, okay, I'm designing my own, whether it's line of furniture or home decor, whatever that is, right? Yeah. The commissions is like, always seems more successful, at least up front. Yeah. Because, because there's pretty, there's usually people who are always looking for somebody to make something for them. Yeah. Um, The other, not so much. Um, And I, I feel like you're probably along the same line of thinking of me, but like, what made you like, was it even a consideration to do like the commission work or were you like, nope, I want to do my own thing from the get go. I really
1: hate commission work. <laughs>
0: um, Are you sure we weren't twins separated? Ever? Maybe. <laughs> this is like, this is a good thing. Um,
1: <laughs> we're onto something here, but right I really don't like commissions. No. Usually what people ask me to make is, um, yeah, exactly. Something they found on Pinterest. And I want to say nothing against Pinterest, but I really don't like Pinterest either. So everything against Pinterest. <laughs> um, what I end up getting asked to make is stuff I don't want to make. Like stuff mm-hmm. I don't see the value in. It it might, you know, like it might look pretty on Instagram right. or Interest or wherever the image came from, but it's not actually necessarily a piece that really functions in my mind. Like my, my brain has been live, work, eat, sleep furniture since I was little. Like mm-hmm. I know at this point, I really feel like I have a good grasp, um, as to what goes into a piece of furniture and will make it work and will make it be a piece of furniture that you want to live with and enjoy and look at um, where some of the stuff was just, I was just like, I can't, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making that. <laughs> you gotta go somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And you're going to hate it. You're not actually going to like it because it, the functionality of it isn't there or whatever. So, um, I find commission work a real struggle and I find it was a struggle when I was open to commission work, I found it was a struggle to to get um, to get even people understanding like what my specialty is, like mm-hmm. what I'm really good at. So they would come to me and ask me to do like live edge stuff or reclaimed furniture or outdoor furniture, right. or you know. And it's not that I can't make those things, but that's not those that's not where my strength lies. Right that's somebody else's gig. So then I ended up kind of getting this smattering of really weird work that I really wasn't interested in making that I really didn't feel suited my skill set. It just felt like it was kind of throwing me off track. And then I would invest in making this thing, but I should, you know, I, yeah. at the end of the day I was like, what, that was a, such a waste of time. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I didn't really learn anything or gain anything. I'm the,
0: yeah, I'm the exact same way. Like, and I, I'm getting better at, I shouldn't have said that. I've always been good at basically saying no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not. Okay, no. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so You're going to have to teach me that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because, or if I don't want to flat out say no, I'll put a price on it. Then I know there's absolutely no way. Yeah. They're going to pay me to make it. And then if they say yes, I'm like, "Well, fine. I get a crap load of money for something that." But it's the same thing. Like usually I'll say it's more like if that doesn't fit, like yeah. if you even remotely went to my website, you would see that doesn't fit anything that I make. Yeah. Um and so, you know, yes, I can build it for you. It's probably going to take me twice as long cuz I'm not even set up to do it that way which means it's going to be more expensive than if you go to, you know, and I've kind of started getting like a list of people that I'll like recommend them go talk to if that's really what they want. Um, So I'm the same way, but as far as like not wanting to do commissions, unless it's something like I've had a couple that have been great or I'm doing this, uh, a bunch of these um, carved bowls with resin finish on them right now and those were all commissions but it was like they you know the only thing I let them pick was what colors go into the resin that was it like they have no say over what the bowl looks like when I carve it they have no say over like any of the process and that works because it is it's like commissioned art then right and so it's like it's my work it's my what's in my head and you still end up loving it, so that's, like, the best of both worlds, right, right, <laughs> uh,
1: funny. I'll do good things with it, that's right,
0: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I, I'm like you, basically, I haven't necessarily honed, like, what my full-on design style is yet that's still like continuously evolving but I have seriously been designing furniture since as long as I can remember
1: yeah as a child it's so crazy how you can spot a bad piece a mile away
0: you're
1: like (laughs) terrific yeah who wants to live with that when it's like not good? Oh. <laughs> I don't think it's furniture snob. It's terrible. I'm sorry. Oh, a- so am
0: <laughs> I. Yeah, so am I. I'm, it it is pretty bad. Um and I've asked I've asked um some people that on the podcast. I had a woman on and she was talking about like how she takes pride in making it like a super quality piece. Well, like, you know, sand the bottom side of it just so that if you put your hand under there, it feels amazing. And I asked her I said so it's ruined you for buying furniture ever again. And she's like yeah I can't like you can't buy totally. furniture. Totally.
1: And I don't know what it is I don't know why the obsession with it like just furniture Kate. like go to IKEA.
0: I don't <laughs> don't <laughs> go to IKEA. Do not go to IKEA. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> um so how did you even learn about things like doing trade shows like and knowing that's the route you had to go. Mm. Even having that knowledge, you know, I think is not something, even people who want to make and sell their own designs. I didn't really understand that until, you know, just a couple of years ago. So I think it's not something very well known out there.
1: Yeah, I think I looked around a lot. I looked around at like people that were like people that were doing what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and did like a deep dive i creeped the fuck out of them <laughs> <laughs> tried to figure out what is it what, what are they doing and right. how are they doing it and
0: um so to get today's podcast episode is sponsored by bad workwear north america they are an australian-based workwear brand that launched in the u.s and canada last fall Now, I haven't tried their gear yet myself, but have heard great things about their gear from our friends in the maker community, especially women who are excited to find workwear that looks great and fits right. They carry a woman's line of items, but based on the slim fit of uh, all their clothing, all their line is considered unisex as women have great success just sizing down in the men's items and getting a great fit. If you want to check them out, visit www.BadNorthAmerica.com and use the code MAKERMOM10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. All right, let's head back into the episode.
1: Yeah, trade shows are are a huge can of worms, though. Um, I could go on and on about trade shows. I've had so many... Terrible experiences and a couple of good ones. So that that's one that, if somebody's going to dive into, I, I really recommend like researching the fuck out of them because mm-hmm. they're so expensive. The booth fees are are thousands of dollars, right. and then you've got like easily a trade show will suck the life out of you for at least two weeks, probably longer. Like by the time you build out your booth display, move in, set up, do the trade show, which is like four or five days of hell, right? Um, and then pack up, and then like, like recover in the fetal position for like three days. Then like two easily two weeks have melted out of your life that you'll never get back. <laughs> and um, also, you have to have work in the show that is really kind of work that you want to sell mm-hmm. like so how do you do that if you're lucky you have a client and you can keep the piece and show mm-hmm. it and then deliver it and deliver it but more often than not i was just manufacturing furniture for nobody just to put in the booth for four days and then take it home and then
0: that's what i was going to ask you like i've kind of um I had been working with a interior designer here locally. And so like, I would, you know, let's say it was like a line of like bar stools, you know? And so I would build out like four or five of them to be on her showroom floor. So I didn't have to keep the inventory on hand. Um, But then what happens is like, basically now I have like a room in my basement that's like full of inventory that never sold right, you know, and it's still available, so I've gone, I've, like, basically, this year, I was, like, I told my wife, I'm, like, whatever I make for my line of furniture is going in our house, we will have pictures taken of it, and yeah. it will be up on the website as, like, available for somebody to order for me yeah. to make that thing, Yeah, but it's not gonna be building out inventory, um, yeah. because that's, it's just too expensive for one to have that much inventory on hand.
1: Yeah, it's so labor intensive. Hey, like yeah. yeah, the pieces are just like weeks and weeks of mm-hmm. labor sunk into them, and so then yeah, and then what do you do at the end? Like, wow, that there was vacation or whatever. Like right, you know. So yeah, for a long time, I was manufacturing samples. That I wanted in my home, that I needed mm-hmm. in my home, um, and then I realized that the market, the market that I was trying to sell to, was not um, aesthetically similar to me. So, like, I actually, I love my work. I love. The latest collection. Mm-hmm. The I launched a new collection last year. I love it. I don't get me wrong. Like I absolutely love the work. I think it's right. beautiful. I, I totally stand by it. But I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Like it's too. It's actually too like luxurious <laughs> too, like, top for my like simple little shitty apartment, apartment you know? in like, <laughs> like this extravagant work right so it just it feels out of place and mm-hmm. I have a dog and it's you know so yeah it's it's a tough one for sure um if you're making work that you like that works in your mm-hmm. home that that's that's awesome I did that and it worked it worked really well for a while and then now I'm kind of doing the opposite we're kind of flipping around now. I'm, I've got a couple of showrooms and so I manufacture my mm. prototypes, and they go to the showrooms.
0: But I mean, you can now, right? Cause you have that, that luxury I guess of having that showroom available to you.
1: Yeah. The, sh- the two showrooms that I have are incredible. They're really, really good to me. Um, they send me a lot of work and There was pay right away and do they they is
0: it a commission type system there they don't take a huge
1: portion which is nice it's not like a 50-50 thing Mm -hmm. so that's really helpful I think when you're talking about that kind of price point 50-50 just doesn't
0: right
1: not gonna work like Mm -hmm. it's a $20,000 piece you can have five right (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's, it's also a $20,000 piece and I have to make it. Like that's right. going to take many, many hours and much, much material. And like, yeah. So
0: so when you're working with that model, I mean, have you found like clients are okay? Because it's going to take, like you said, I mean, it takes you time to make it, right? It's yeah. They're looking at the model on the floor, but that's not waiting in a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> that day. imagine that would be so <laughs> hilarious. I walk into a warehouse all full of stuff that I
1: made. Oh, <laughs> <damn it. laughs> that'd be kind of fun, though. It
0: would. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um No, they're fine. They're fine. Usually, um like, I think a really common lead time is like 12 to 14 weeks or 10 Okay. Weeks. So, most designers know that, and then mm-hmm. they, you know, um, make sure that they're picking the furnishings way before they need them. Like I have right. designs right now that I'm quoting on work that's not due until December or January. So that's great. I'm like, yeah, I can fit this in in December, no problem, and mm-hmm. gives lots of, you know, warning and stuff. The worst is when somebody's like, oh, I need it in three weeks. It's like, uh, no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how, I mean, that price point that you're at, I think, you know, obviously your time, your energy, your expertise is all worth that. I get that. My like that tends to be kind of the price points that I would be looking at for a lot of, you know, my designs as well. But what's always in the back of my head is, like, what happens if another 2008, you know, market, huge recession happens? Like, how do you keep yourself employed by yourself in times like that? Um, I mean, do you ever – is that ever – a concern or do you feel like there's still that market even during those type of times?
1: I try not to think about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really try not to think about it because it's super scary. I mean, gosh, I went from like a really cushy teacher's salary, like super, super secure union, mm-hmm. whatever to like, whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't change anything because I love it, but yeah, I try not to think about it um and i I remind myself time and time again that the people buying my work are not like me, like they're not they're not they're not
0: you're saying they have largest disposable income that's yeah. what you're saying. <laughs>
1: What, for? I don't even know what a 401k is, but I think it's something really fancy. And I think they all have, like, I don't, I don't even, know what that is. Um, you know, they all have like investment portfolios and shit. I know nothing about. So I try, you know, and it you look at all the stats and you read all the articles and, I mean, COVID is really just an exercise in making rich people richer, so... Right. <laughs> okay, well, as long as there's still rich people buying my work, I'm going to keep making it. <laughs> it's weird. It's it's a really weird... Like, if I think about it, it's quite uncomfortable. Like, I, right. I don't want to be making furniture for the 1%, Like, but, like, that's kind of the little corner that I backed myself into.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So... Um yeah, it's a weird position to be in, but and I try not to think about it too much. I just cross my fingers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that works. That <laughs> yeah. works. I think to
1: really pulling together um like a strong circle. It doesn't need to be huge, but like a bunch of people that I have in my pocket that like if things, you know, shit does hit the fan and I'm out of work, I don't have jobs. Right. You know, then I would call and I'd be like, hey, I don't have any work right now. And I usually, these are people that I'm okay to be really legit with. And I would say, I don't have any work. I'm, what do you got? I'm happy to do whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a good price. Like, right. Whatever, you know, I'm happy to take work, your work, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And then that's when I would do the sort of custom stuff i don't like to do <laughs> but if it's true with the designer mm-hmm. then usually it's not terrible right like yeah the homeowner that
0: <laughs> no,
1: i sound like an asshole God, no so no. So a bitch.
0: <laughs> no no um i i wanted to before we get to um your show that you uh oh um, yeah yeah <laughs> Before you get to that, I want to talk a little bit about, um, like, press coverage. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. So you talked about, and I know you've been in and recognized as, like, you know, this awesome designer in, in different, like, um, magazines and such. Is that any of that ever been things, like, you've gone after, or have they been, like, happy accidents type thing? most of it like most of the
1: really great coverage is a happy accident um i do pitch i will Mm -hmm. if i um have something important happening i will send out like a press release um but often like yeah press releases are great and they're important but if the publication isn't looking for exactly what you're selling, then they're gonna do kind of, they might just do like a little blurb somewhere, which isn't super helpful. Um, And then in the odd time, it might work out fantastic. This is Mm -hmm. exactly what I'm looking for. It turns into this amazing thing. But a lot of the press coverage that I get is organic. It's -hmm. mostly organic.
0: Okay so do you think that your show has helped with that
1: yeah so address is a design show that i've produced and curated for seven years and i think it has helped with press coverage i think the show itself is really fun and a lot of people attend it's like there's like a huge party with like hundreds of people that come and all the, the big media will come. they will be like a media sneak peek, like an mm-hmm. hour before the launch party. So an hour before the launch party, there's like all the media and press blah, 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 and all the high rollers or whatever come through. And people like that. People like to, they like a the party and, mm-hmm. drink, and you know, and if you're the one that's putting it on, they like you. <laughs> so um, I was getting press coverage before address. And I, I did get some really great coverage before address, but address was definitely kind of kicked it up a notch for sure. Mm-hmm. This is a nice speaking point too, right? Like that's what press wants is like what, what's new. What they mm-hmm. always want what's new. I'll launch a collection and two months later they'll be like, well what's new? And I'm like, well I just did this same normal <laughs> thing two months ago. <laughs> it's still right.
0: it's, yeah exactly. <laughs>
1: um so it's it's a good um it's a good what's new, you know, mm-hmm. once a year it's you know, in everybody's mind.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um now i know a bit of the story about why and how address got started um but i don't know if those who will be listening to this know so do you want to kind of give your little little spiel about how and why you started it (laughs) um
1: it's been controversial I got in a bit of hot water with it, actually. So I started addressing. gosh, was it 2014? I want to say 2014. Maybe it was 2013. Anyway, I had done a trade show, and I hated it. I wanted to, like, rip my own eyeballs out. It was an awful experience. I'd never done a trade show before. I didn't know my ass from my elbow. I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought I would show up with my furniture, and it would be amazing.
0: Amazing, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) It wasn't. It was not amazing. It was terrible. I was way in over my head. I was very not prepared. Um, and the show, the show itself wasn't a good show. It was a, um, a bad show.
0: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can be nice and you know, there, but I'm like well okay maybe you can help clarify this because I definitely don't know because I've never been to one what is a good show what is a bad show? Um how do you classify them as good versus bad?
1: Right and I think they're really specific to your product so the show and I shouldn't say it's generally a bad show I mean I'm sure the show is good for a lot of people there's people that mm-hmm. go back and show at that show every year so I'm assuming it's good for those people right but it wasn't good for me as a designer maker I felt like the audience it was almost as if the audience was like walking through Home Depot they were like shopping for sinks and flooring and paint colors and, oh I got you um not not there to find luxury furniture and so my brand was just like lost. Like mm-hmm. People would walk by my booth and they'd be kind of like, what is, what is this furniture? Oh, yeah. where is this from? Oh, I make it. You make it? Yeah, I make it. Where? <laughs> in Vancouver. You make this here in Vancouver. What are you doing here? What? I'm here to show you that I make this here in Vancouver. <laughs> it was just this weird like, Head scratchy, yeah. Sides like it just didn't. It just didn't make any sense at all. And I and I did the show. I did the show a couple times, trying to see if I could make it work. And it it, it was. It, I couldn't make it work. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I did the show in 2013. It was a really bad experience. The show cost me the booth fee cost me five thousand dollars, which in in hindsight actually isn't that much money for a booth. But I it cost me five thousand dollars. This was like eons ago when I was just starting out. So $5,000 at the time was like a, a lot ton yeah. of money. I mean, it's still a lot of money. <laughs> it's still yeah. like, you know, can make a break. But um, at the time it was like a lot of money. I had manufactured all these new pieces. I had hired movers. The movers were like 500 bucks. I remember I was so strapped for cash. The movers were moving into the show to unload the mm-hmm. work. And they were put in like a holding pen because there was just a huge lineup of trucks trying to get into this giant convention mm-hmm. center. And I was like, what the fuck? I paid my movers like a hundred bucks an hour. Oh my God. I'm hemorrhaging money. <laughs> like I couldn't even afford to like have movers sit in a holding pen right. like an hour waiting in line. Like this was like catastrophic. So clearly I was way in over my head. And so, The next year I said to myself, well, fuck that shit. I can take five grand and light it on fire faster than that. I'm going to take the money that I spent on that show and I'm going to just blow it. I'm just going to blow it. I'm just going to take it and I'm going to see what I can do with it. Mm -hmm. And so I pulled together, I was able to pull together, I think nine, I think there was 10 of us all together the first year, designer makers. I rented a space. Um, we had a great party. It was awesome. We had this thyme and lime vodka lemonade that people are still talking about. Like, people still talk about that vodka lemonade. Um, so we had a kick-ass party and I partnered with a designer who hosted this event called Designer Happy Hour, which is exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Once a month, they would she would send out a mail-out and all these people would come to this designer happy hour and all the interior designers would just drink and chat about projects they're working on. So she hosted designer happy hour at the first address. And that partnership really actually made address what it is. Like if I didn't have Amber bringing designer happy hour, I don't think address would have been nearly as successful Mm -hmm. as it was um, because all the designers would come and then the designers would tell all their friends and then all their friends would trickle in over the following week. And so that was kind of our strategy for the first couple of years was to kind of have this big party and then tell your friends and then they would all come and then by the, the last few years, I mean, we would just have 500 people show up to our launch party. Like it was, I rented a 10,000 square foot warehouse last year. Like it was, it got to be so big. So Um, yeah, that's, that's address. And, and why it started was because I was so fucking arrogant. I thought I could take five grand and do better, (laughs) (laughs) which I couldn't, I didn't. The first year was a terrible show. Um, and the last year where I rented the 10,000 square foot warehouse, the budget was more like $50,000. So, you know, live and learn, right?
0: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But um, I was, and one of the things I wanted to ask, so you talked about the show you went to in New York that was designer makers and then uh, address is kind of, is it still like mainly like designer makers? Yep. Yep. Do you find that, I mean, is that common at most shows? Like that the designers there are actually making the pieces themselves?
1: No, and that's what's really frustrating about trade shows is that they don't really service designer makers. They service, like, bigger corporations. Yeah. Like, Melee, or GE, or Benjamin Moore. Like, these huge companies with huge marketing budgets. That's who they really service. Mm -hmm. And then the designer makers, there's been such a sort of resurgence of people making their own work over the last 10 years, we just ended up kind of slotting ourselves in to that Mm -hmm. model, but it doesn't really work. I mean, the trade show that I did, the little obscure show I did in New York last year, wasn't a big trade show and I, I did fantastic. It was Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, so I don't know. Trade shows are weird. They're weird ball of wax. <laughs> if you're thinking about doing one, if anybody's thinking about doing one, like ask a lot of questions. How many people come through? Um, where are they from? What kind of press coverage? What can I expect? Um, what are the booth fees? Ask about discounts for the booth fees because those people give out discounts left, right, and center. Mm. And, um, you know, if you're a young up and coming designer maker, you're actually the kind of cool factor for the trade show. You're actually there doing the trade show a favor by being there and being cool. Like nobody goes to a trade show to see Benjamin Moore, like Benjamin Moore, but like, People go to trade shows to see something new, and what's right. new is presented by designer makers. So, and designer makers aren't a huge corporation and they should be getting a discount. I'm, I can't afford what GE can pay for, or Mele or KitchenAid or whatever, you know, whoever's, yeah, picking yeah. all the big ones, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like they should yeah. be paying their fee and then designer makers should have a much more reduced fee to get mm-hmm. in the door and to make the show really cool.
0: Yeah. So I mean, that's what that's what's held cool. me back from. Um, I had I was talking with a designer maker in New York uh, uh, through Instagram, and said, you know, because I guess he does ICFF every year, and then another one that he does every year, and he said that's usually how he meets the majority of you know, his clients and stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I said, I would, I would love to go. And he's like, well, I can hook you up with my contact. I'm like, I cannot afford, like, I don't even know what it is. But my guess is it would be at least 5000. And I don't have that kind of liquid cash just lying around to pay for that. Um,
1: yeah.
0: But I know, and I've reached out to you too, about wanting to do something more in the midwest here um versus you know it's like especially in the u.s it feels like all of those things are either on the east coast or the west coast and there's like nothing in the middle Mm -hmm. um which is crazy to me because chicago is only like a three-hour drive from me and you would think um that they have more of those type of things but they don't yeah um what does chicago have is there not one in chicago that's big I don't think they, they have, well, so it's kind of funny. So it's like, if you're, if you're like me, like a designer maker and you're somebody new, then you can only do like this spring show and this fall show. And there's a whole application process and you have to show like how your booth would be set up and all of that. And and maybe that's normal. I don't know. But um, again, that's like, It's not impossible, but it would take probably over a year of planning on my behalf in order to make that happen. It
1: does. It does. (laughs) It's a whole year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Uh, even paying for it, like I'll sign up and then I'll pay installments. So, you know, and then I know they're coming on the calendar in like bright red letters. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This is due. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Another way that you could do it is if you got together a couple of designers and formed like a collective. Yeah. You guys could collectively show in a booth. That's another Mm -hmm. like great option to just get, to just get there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's kind of um, you know, there's cost sharing, which is nice. And then it gets you the experience mm-hmm. and even just the first time it gets you the experience, like without so much damage,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, even to your point I mean you're saying like you like you're like wiped for like two weeks, like even though um, some people may or may not be surprised, I'm actually very introverted and very quiet. <laughs> Um, and so like you know when I go even to like a maker conference like yeah. that's just for a weekend like I'm like wiped after yeah. that and I get home and it's kind of like wife don't talk to me kids don't talk to me pets stay away like <laughs> <Totally>. I'm a <fetal laughs> position yes
1: <laughs> yeah. yes
0: um so you know that's also one of those things that I'm like I'm sure I would be completely wiped after having to have your kind of game face on yeah. all day long.
1: <laughs> Sometimes it's nice, like, and so I would, again, really re- strongly recommend the, um, like a collective, because if there was say three or four or five of you that were all sharing a booth, you wouldn't have to be there the whole time. Right. You could, you could go away. You could take Saturday off. And just go on Friday and maybe half a day Sunday. And if somebody comes that's really interested in your work, the other people in your collective would obviously market your stuff too. Right. And sometimes that works out better. Like sometimes it's better to have other people talking about your work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I could see that. Yeah. So one, one more thing I'm curious about before I let you go here. And that is, you talk about, you know, you're a designer maker. Do you feel like you've tapped into a maker community um, around you, near you, afar? Um, or do you feel like you're more tapped into, like, the designer community? Um, I would
1: say a bit of both. I would also say that it's, like, surprisingly um, – quiet, surprisingly independent. Um, I have definitely like a designer maker community that I'm um, a part of in Vancouver, but then I moved to Toronto in October. So I don't really know very many people here at all. I have Mm -hmm. a couple people that I know, but not a ton, um I thought I would really miss it. Like I thought I was like oh no, I'm moving to Toronto, I don't know anybody and you know, all my friends and <laughs> I'm here and I'm like I actually just like again I sound like an asshole but I actually don't really miss it. Like mm-hmm. um I'm enjoying the quiet time.
0: <laughs> uh, Is it extra quiet time though now with COVID like it's extra sequestra quiet? sequestered inside yeah, totally it's
1: it's really extra quiet but I'm so busy I've never been so busy I've never had so many orders like back to back to back to back so I mean that's good
0: mm-hmm. um so you have a shop space there then yeah is it all yours or is it like a co-working type space no, it, it's a
1: shop that I bought into as, a bit, as like a business partnership with another woman, Juna, Juna Day. She's a furniture maker as well, but she's kind of veered off in a bit of a different direction, so she's very rarely at the shop these days. Um, so Juna and I co-own her wood shop, which she's been in for the last five years. And I moved in there in March just before covid just before COVID, <laughs> shut everything down and um we have um like a member a membership area so we have about I think we have 12 right now members that pay a fee to use the equipment because I mean a whole wood shop for just me and Juna that's like unnecessary so
0: yeah but still awesome just yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're all the time yeah <laughs> mostly just me yeah. Um, and then you know every now and then a member will pop in for a couple hours do whatever they're working on and then they'll leave but um yeah I I basically I have my own shop but I share it with a business partner Juna and then Juna and I share it with 12 other members and then their membership fees really offset the cost of the shop which is Mm -hmm. really fantastic awesome keep overhead low yes yes
0: (laughs) Like you said, the whole no money thing, you know?
1: <laughs> oh, it sucks. It's the worst part. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And, like, the struggle is so real. Like, it's such an expensive craft.
0: It is. I know. Um, all right, Kate. We are at the end of our time. It was so fun. Was
1: I really know.
0: Fun. I Absolutely. Uh, <laughs>
1: And Chicago's not far from Toronto. So does that mean you're not far from Toronto?
0: I thought Toronto was closer to like New York. Isn't it close? Toronto's like close to New York, right? I I think so. We're
1: kind of close. Somewhat
0: close. Yeah. Somewhat close. I mean, you could definitely do it in a drive. I think I looked it up once. I think it's like be like a 13-hour drive
1: oh, or that's, okay that's further or I not
0: like but I mean a flight obviously you know yeah. if uh, yeah i uh, Toronto is full of like awesome woodworkers I was gonna I just chatted with and I call her a young woman because she's like 23 so that's young for me um <laughs> I just chatted with her for this same segment of the podcast um, a few weeks ago. Uh, her work is amazing, and I told her about you and yeah. I told and the show address. And I said you should definitely look um, oh, cool. Kate up. Uh, her name is Dej Hamilton. Um, okay. Yeah, and her—I mean—her work is gorgeous, absolutely right. gorgeous. Right. So um, I was like, yeah, you should definitely look. Kate up because wow. you know she's in I don't know what part of Toronto she's in but she's in some part of Toronto okay. <laughs>
1: was it Hamilton? Dej Deja Hamilton? Deja
0: Hamilton yeah so D-A-E-J for Deja okay. and okay. then Hamilton yeah cool. cool. Um. so yeah but before I let you go I gotta let give you a chance to let people know how to follow along with you
1: oh yeah um <laughs> My website is kate.duncan.ca, or you can follow on Instagram. It's uh, Kate Duncan Design at Kate Duncan Design. I'm not very <laughs> good with <at> the technology, <laughs> but you can you can message me and I might reply.
0: <laughs> email's best. Email. You email's best. Okay. At,
1: uh, info <laughs> at kate.duncan.ca.
0: <laughs> okay, awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Kate. This is Yeah, no, this is fun. Really fun. I'm glad I met my, you know, twin born in an entire another oh. country. Oh. <laughs> totally. <laughs> All right. So again, that was Kate Duncan, who is a designer maker out of Toronto, Canada. I will include how you can follow along with Kate in the show notes for today's episode. Or if you're watching this on YouTube in the description down below. All right, so I told you if you stuck around to the end, I tell you a few different ways that you can help support the podcast if you are really enjoying these uh, two episodes a week. So the easiest one, the quickest one is make sure that whatever you are listening to or watching this podcast on that you hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit subscribe and the bell so you're notified every time a new episode goes up. Alright, then you can go a little further. It's still super easy though, is to head over to iTunes and leave a five star review that helps other people find out about the podcast and just helps the The algorithm over there so more people find out about it and hear these amazing stories of these amazing women all right but if you're really super duper loving the podcast probably the best way to help support the podcast is to head on over to patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash maker mom podcast there's four different tier levels over there one three and five dollar tier levels that get you into the tribe there's different merch at each of those levels different uh, bonuses and then a very new tier level that got added the 30 dollar a month tier level and that makes you an official sponsor of the podcast so you will get your own little ad spot about your company over there uh, for every episode that month, which if there's four weeks, that means you got eight episodes for that month that are coming out with a spot about your sponsorship. So that is a great opportunity. And then lastly, uh, you can just buy some merch. Uh, there's a Maker Mom Tea with the Mom Squad listed on the back, which are all of the Maker Moms from the first 65 episodes that are currently listed on the back. There will probably in another few months be another uh, shirt coming out with the updated list of the mom squad since we are now going to be uh, nearing 100 episodes so far. All right, and you can get to there through uh, my website for Freeman Furnishings. So that's just freemanfurnishings.com forward slash shop and hit apparel and uh, the Maker Mom Tee is right there for you. Alright, one last thing about all of this. So, I love, love, love doing these podcast interviews. Truly, truly love doing them. Um, And now with two of them a week, loving it even more. However, that does mean it puts in uh, a bit of a strain to get both episodes out in a timely manner. So you guys can listen to them every Wednesday and every Friday. So if you're loving it, especially loving the new edition of this Wonder Women segment like this one today with Kate Duncan, and you want to see that continue, please strongly consider going over to Patreon and joining the tribe there, because the more that comes in there will allow me to um, possibly get some assistance in helping to put out the episodes. All right. So I hope you have a fantastic week and I hope you get to make something